Hey, we're going to continue our series, Life Together. And uh, Tim started the series last week, which was fantastic. And today we're going to continue the series. One of my favorite books is a book by the title, Life Together, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you're looking for a book recommendation, you can throw that out there for the six readers that are here. Um, you can find it on ebook. Hopefully, 600 readers that are here. Reading is good for us. Hey, uh, I, I don't know about you, but in our house, and I don't know if everybody has this, but in our house, we have a large dining room table. And I remember growing up, we had. I, when, we, when, I, when I was younger, we had a small dining room table. I thought it was big when I was growing up, and uh, you know, I, I thought it was quite large, but I went to my mum's house recently, and it's her desk. And uh, it, it turns out it's not that big. There was just my mum, my, my dad, my brother and I, so I guess we could gather around this thing. But as a child, I, I, re, I imagined it being huge, and then later on in life, we got a larger table. In fact, they bought a whole bunch of timber from a sawmill, and uh, I think the guy was going to prison or something, he needed to offload everything, and uh, so they, they got a whole bunch, and in the batch that they got, they got this giant, like, solid Rimu one-piece table, like it was beautiful, big, big thick slab of Rimu, it was, it was stunning, and, and, and my family um, growing up, even though my dad was a shift worker, so he would come and go from the table, the table was an important part of our upbringing, we ate uh, every night, we ate around the table, uh, there was no eating on the couch, I don't think there was eating in the lounge allowed at all anyway, just not even at mealtime. Uh, there, was, there was no, none of that. It was always we would sit at the table for dinner time. And even if it was just my mum, my brother and I, we would, we would sit at the table and, and we'd do what brothers do. We'd bicker and fight and, you know, not eat all of our peas or whatever and, and mum would wait us out and, you know, all of that, that normal stuff. And now being a parent and having four kids, I mean, we eat around the table most of the time, but let's not be romantic about it. The table is chaos. The table is chaos. I thought as our kids would get older, you know, like we're like 21 down to 10, I thought it would become less chaotic, but it's just the type of chaos has changed. When they're younger, it's the chaos of trying to get them to eat their dinner. And I don't know about you, we start with like the oldest one. We made them eat everything. But the, the, the youngest one, like, I can't be bothered with this. You know, like it's like, we've done this three times already in my life. I don't want to wait here for an hour for you to eat all your peas. You're going to be unhappy. I'm going to be unhappy. Uh, why are we doing this? You know, if you're not hungry, don't eat it. Um, so I don't know if that's good parenting advice, but they wear you down. You know, they do. They definitely wear you down, and you, you care less about certain things, right? And you care more about other things as you go on. And, but the, the, our table, even though it's large and lots of people can fit around, it's chaos. We've got, like, we got kids who some days refuse to sit next to somebody else. Right? I'm not. And then the person sits down next to them because now they know they can push them, but they scoot along. You know, they go to the other side, they chase them around there. I mean, half of the people have started eating before I even get to the table half of the time. And, you know, like we pray mid-meal often because it's like, it's just easier that way than trying to get everyone to wait. Um, 
And, 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 and amongst all of the chaos, there's, there's sometimes like beautiful moments where you can have a conversation of like, how was your day? And it, and it doesn't end up in an argument, uh, like between something and a, a bickering about something. And then there's those, those real beautiful moments which don't happen very often around the table where everyone doesn't try to rush off when they're finished. But like the dishes stay there and the conversation flows and you find yourself just sort of like pushing back from the table a little bit and being an observer of the moment, being present and just taking it in and it's like all of the chaos and the fights and the making them eat their peas, oh, it was worth it for just this one night, just this one rich moment of being family. The table is, is beautiful. And then when you invite people over to your table that aren't a part of your family, it adds other dynamics because they're trying to figure out what's kosher at your table while also bringing their own table. You know, like when you go to someone's house, you're like, do I get my elbows on that table? Or you wait and you see what, how they eat first, right? Like, I don't, I don't mind. I know my parents tried to teach me to keep my elbows off the table, but I'm all for it. You know, I want to guard my spot uh, or protect this thing, you know? Grew up with a brother, you know. It's just, you're protecting what's yours. Have you seen Hayden eat? He's like full guard mode. He had four brothers, you know. He's, he's protecting that thing. He's, he's got, and he eats quick, man, like. <laughs> it's true, right? Yeah. The, the people come over and they're trying to figure out what, what's kosher in your family. I, I like to just throw people off when they come over to our house. Sometimes I just like to throw things out there, like a popular one of mine is I like to rate Katie's meal that she's made that particular time. I'll, I'll give it a rating out of like one to 10, right? And so I'll throw a number out there, you know, sort of like mid-meal, be like, oh, Katie, this is a solid six. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, one time somebody was over at our house for the meal and uh, thankfully they're not here today. Um, but they're like, oh no, it's a solid 6.5. Um, <laughs> They weren't picking up on the joke, you know. Um, I asked the kids to rate the meal the other night, and uh, it, was, it was a good moment. Um, but one of them wanted to clarify the scale. You know, what's a 10, they asked. Like, is a 10 the best mum can do? Or is a 10 like Michelin star? And so um, we're, just, we're still working out the scale in our home. So the table. Just kidding around, it's just, it, it's fun. The table I want to propose is a significant metaphor for how we should understand our life together as God's people, for what it means to be church or to do church together. It's not the only metaphor, there's lots of rich metaphors. The scripture has lots of metaphors. It talks about us as family, as the family of God. It talks about us as the body of Christ. Uh, it talks about us as the bride of Christ. There's all of these beautiful metaphors in the scripture, but I want to propose that the table, the metaphor of the table as a way of us imagining doing life together as God's people is a pretty good, not only metaphor, but also practice for shaping living into what the scripture has for us as God's people together. I think if we can reclaim the table, if we've lost it, if we can practice the table, if we find ourselves not regularly at it, if we can 
lean into the idea of the table, there's depths of love, there's depths of this Bible word fellowship, there's depths of belonging, there's depths of peace, there's depths of joy and play waiting for us around the table. But metaphors really matter. Like when what we think of when we think about things matters. One theologian said, what we think of when we think of God might be the most important thing about us. But it's also true what we think of when we think of church, it matters. Imaginations shape things. Like sometimes people, you know, joke about marriage. Not, not me, obviously, I'd never say this. But, um, you know, joke about their, their spouse as the old ball and chain. Right, it's sort of like that. The metaphor matters. It shapes what you think of marriage. When you know, if you're talking about marriage as a life sentence, or you know, you get off a, you know, you don't. You, if you go to prison for killing someone, you probably get off earlier than getting married. Uh, you know, these are the the imaginations that shapes the way people think about things. Right, which is quite different to talking about marriage like an endless date. It, it, it really shapes how you think about it, and it's true of, of lots of things. We can talk about, you know, our, our, our moms or our dads, we could talk about them as the old man, and that, that, that when we refer to our father that way, it, it shapes a type of imagination that's quite different when we say my dad or my father. Like, it, it shapes something, the imaginations, the words we use. And, and when we think of church, it's the same. And, and we have different pictures when we say the word church. Like, uh, I think I've got some photos here. Like, when we say church, maybe the, the, the picture that comes to mind for people is, um, maybe we could show the first one. Uh, thank you. Like, when we say church, maybe this is what springs to mind. Like, it is straight away, like, a cathedral type of thing. And, and that's a good picture. Like, I love a good cathedral. Uh, what does this imagination do? It shapes in, in a perspective of church, awe, wonder, like tradition, richness, something that's been passed on to us. It's a good imagination. It, it gives us some benefit. Some people think of this, um, if we go to the next one, this is Hillsong Conference. I don't know if we can talk about them, but... Um, Hillsong Conference, uh, you know, some people think of this like, yeah, the, the church is like, it's big and it's loud and it's amazing and it's like, wow, there's 20,000 people or whatever. Some people think of this. Often people think of maybe this next one because this is what Instagram reels look like on Monday from churches. Um, you know, like think of, we think of worship in, in those sort of moments. But, and I love all of these and they, they all have something to offer us, but I love this one the most if we can go to the next one. This is an Italian family getting together for a meal. Looks like communion to me. Um, <laughs> I'd say they've already prayed and now they're just, they're just enjoying it. Um, if we th when we say church, if this is what comes to mind, it's a little bit different, right? It, it, it conjures up something different for us and we'll just, we'll leave that up there for a little while, but in a world that continues to ramp up the rhetoric of individualism, of individualization, which says you're alone. It says it's all about you. It says you can make it on your own if you just work hard enough and dream big enough and, you know, you, you can do it. If you just put in the effort, you can be the hero in a world that just continues to make that 
rhetoric louder and louder and louder, we must remind ourselves that the Bible invites us into this. The Bible invites us into a very different story, not one just of me and God, and not just God and me, but of God and us, of our Father in heaven, not just my Father in heaven that we're adopted into a family, the scripture tells us. And as much as he becomes our father, that means we get a whole bunch of siblings to go with it. Some of them we don't want to sit next to and we try to scoot along. We change where we go on a Sunday morning, but a family nonetheless. We're adopted into a family. We become a people, a community. We're baptized, the scripture tells us, not only into Christ, but into Christ's people, it's like the induction, it's the ceremony, it's the citizenship when we're baptized. And God does relate to us personally, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the moments God speaks to me, and I'm thankful that I can enjoy a direct connection with the Lord. I'm so thankful for that, and I want everybody to experience that. And I think the Lord wants everybody to experience that. He wants it to be deeply personal, but don't confuse personal with private that it's supposed to be personal and communal, not personal and private. And so we need to continue to reclaim in our day and age like the definition of the word church. Because church, some people think of cathedrals, some people think of worship, some people think of Sunday mornings, some people think of locations and time slots, but when we read the scriptures and the word church turns up time and time and time again to shape our imagination of our life together, it doesn't mean any of those things. The Greek word ekklesia was borrowed from the political language of its day and it means to gather together. It literally means to gather. It's a gathered people. And, and it's used in the Bible in two ways. Like it's used to talk about the universal church, as in all of God's people that he's gathering together across the world, the, the saved. But it's also used to talk about those believers when they get together in local context to worship the Lord, to share their life in Christ together. This is the church. And, I, and before we get to the scriptures today, this other word is really important and we need to understand the definition of it. It's the word fellowship. In Greek, it's koinonia. And this word means to participate, to share, to partake together. And this is why I love this imagination because I feel like this does a good job at combining the ecclesia, the gathered, and the fellowship, the sharing, the participating. Because this, as much as this is great, there's a lot of watching and sometimes a mixture of participation, but this requires participation. The table requires participation. And so I, I turn to the scriptures in Acts chapter 2 today, in verse 42, in the story of the birth of the church, post-Jesus, post-Pentecost, and it summarizes it for us in, in Acts 2 verse 42. It says, all the believers 
devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's pretty good. That's a reminder that our faith is, is given to us. It's, we don't get to make it up. It's passed on to us that there is sound doctrine. This is what the creeds are about. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. What's that? The participation in shared life. They were devoted to life together, <laughs> to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They were devoted. They were committed. If you were to ask them what their life was about as God's people, they'll be like, it's about four things for us. The apostles' teaching. It's about fellowship. It's about participating with our Christian brothers and sisters. It's about sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. And it's about prayer. If you want to sum up what church is to us, it's about the teaching it's about the participation, it's about the meals, and it's about prayer. At least two of those things look like that table gathering. At least two of those things. And it goes, because they were devoted to these things, a deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property, their possessions. They shared their money with those in need. This is fellowship. They worshiped together at the temple each day. This is the bigger gatherings. And they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, the table. And all the while, while all this is going on, they were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship. He added to their participation. He added to their shared life together, those who were being saved. Look, us getting this idea of the table, us reclaiming it, us leaning into it, us practicing it matters because the Lord does not want to add to our stadia those who were being saved. He doesn't want to add to our cathedrals those who are being saved. He doesn't want to add to our Sunday morning worship services, as great as they are, those who are being saved. He wants to add to the substance of our life together those who are being saved. He wants to add to the fellowship. He wants to add to the table, not to the row, those who were being saved. The Lord is looking for the church to have such a richness in their life together that God could add someone and know they would stick. That they would be cared for. That they would be discipled. And for that, we need to lean in, reclaim, practice the art of the table. Because the table is where fellowship grows some flesh. The table is where fellowship comes to life. Without the table, fellowship's just a theological idea. The table is the grit of where it really happens. The table is a metaphor and a practice. Why? I, I, I mean, a few things happen around the table, just in case you were wondering, other than all of the obvious things. Drama, vulnerability, joy, laughter, healing, safety, peace. There's, there's a lot that happens at the table. But our formation actually takes place at the table. We are formed in Christ around tables. I know we want it to happen through podcasts. I know we want to happen through, like every preacher wants it to happen through, through the, the great Sunday morning messages that we work so hard on. 
I know we want it to happen around YouTube so I can just do it when I want to do it. It's true that it happens in our spiritual practices. You're not going to get formed in Christ without that. But really, it, it, it grows some flesh around the table. The context for discipleship is relationship. Jesus said, come, follow me, and he gathered people together, and it was in their togetherness that they got formed. In fact, in the scriptures, like, uh, as much as there's some great public teaching moments in the scriptures, like the Sermon on the Mount is sort of that, but it says that he gathered his disciples. The longest discourse we have in the scripture from Jesus is like John 14 through John 17. It's nonstop Jesus talking pretty much. It's the longest. There was only 11 people present for that with him because Judas had run off to do his thing. And so like most of the reasons we understand what Jesus was meaning from the parables is because the disciples took him aside from the public ministry, sat around a table, it might have been a coffee table, a cafe table, a dinner table, I don't know, a Turkish table probably on there, you know, right low with some cushions. And they, they said, Jesus, what do you mean? We don't understand it. And he would explain it to them. Formation takes place around the table. We don't want it to take place there because we don't want to have to like sit face to face with somebody and then go, how's your time with the Lord been this week? And us go, to be honest, I've been ignoring him. I've been too busy. I've been distracted. We don't want to ask, we don't want somebody sitting inside and go, hey, what sin are you struggling with? And how can I be praying for it? And it's like, that's, that's vulnerable. That's terrifying. That's exposing. We don't want that. But that's how formation happens through this relational, like, encouragement and, 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 and accountability. That's like a big word, but it happens in a soft, beautiful way around the table. It happens in a very natural way. This is, this is where it, it matters. If you're wondering here, like, when, when our church gets together in small groups this week, that's where formation happens. That's where we take this stuff and it... And it and it starts actually ingraining in practices in people's lives. This, I think one of the most effective things you can do in a small group is just ask the people in your group, if you're the group leader, just a little, like, one of the most effective things you could do is just ask the question, how's your time with the Lord been this week? And somebody will be like, oh, mine's been so good. It's just the Lord's been speaking to me. Three people will be like, I've been a bit lazy. And through having that conversation week after week after week, you'll notice the tide rise. And more and more people be like, oh, I've just been loving the scripture. I've been loving prayer. I haven't started fasting. You know, like these things, it comes because of we're around the table. Our, our formation doesn't only happen at the table, but our purpose is often found around the table. I know we like to think of our purpose and calling as quite an individual thing. Like, God, what do you have for me? And God, God, God's definitely got plans for you, but the scripture doesn't talk about it that way. Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says, For we are Christ's masterpiece. He has created us and you in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I know how we read it. I am Christ's masterpiece. He's created me and you in Christ Jesus so I can do the good things he planned for me since long ago. And that might be true, but that's not how it's written. We, us, we. 
We, we, we. Our purpose is discovered around the table. The reason our purpose is discovered around the table because a huge part of our primary purpose is about serving the others around the table. Oh, I've got these gifts to serve the world. Oh, that's not what the scripture says. It says you've got these gifts to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ so that we might all be built up into such maturity. Yeah, you can go use them out there, but don't neglect the table. That's the place where, it's a, where they, were, they were found for that. And it's when you get around the table that you realize you've got someone to offer somebody else around the table and that they have something to offer for you. It's often around the table that we realize as much as we would like it just to be me and God and we're going to change the world, like our purpose is highly connected to other people, that we can't do it on our own, that we need each other. And the third thing that happens around the table amongst others is that God's mission is unleashed around the table. It's unleashed around the table. The church exploded in the book of Acts through the ancient world, not because of its cathedrals that didn't have them yet, and there's nothing wrong with them, not because of its stadiums that didn't have those yet. It exploded because it met around tables. It wasn't the only way it met. Don't confuse it. Don't read like, oh, it's just all about home church. No, no, like they met in the temple. It says that before they met in homes. Like there, there was these big gatherings of the church but that wasn't the only place life happened together. And because of that, it could, the church could explode and grow. It didn't have to wait Sunday to Sunday because all of a sudden life together was happening on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday. And I think you get the drift and on Sunday. And because it was happening, there's this fellowship, this participation, this sharing, this tabling that was happening every day of the week. The Lord added to that those who were being saved and it exploded. It exploded so when we get around tables, God's able to work and his mission is able to unleash every day of the week. When you just, if you practice hospitality this week and you invite some people around and there might be some mixture of some people who know Jesus, some people have gone, some people who don't know Jesus and God's mission is taking place around our tables. It's able to multiply. As good as it is to invite people to Sunday, I'm sure there's people that have been invited here today. We don't have to wait Sunday to Sunday. God's mission is unleashed around the table. The most difficult thing though about the table um, is it requires a lot of us. Like Sunday church is like relatively easy unless you have small kids that don't like going to kids' church. Outside of that, Sunday church is relatively easy. Like let's just be honest. Like you drive there, parking's a bit inconvenient. We can all admit that. Like the foyer thing is quite cold in winter when the southwesterly is blowing. We can admit that. But like outside of those two inconveniences, here you've got three time slots to choose from. Very convenient. It's like the movies, you know, you've got lots of time options. You go away for the weekend, you can still come to the evening one of your bag. Like it's very convenient. And then you like you sort of come, like you can come late, you can come early, you can do it, you won't get free coffee. Like it doesn't really ask much of you. Sit down, like if you don't really participate. You know, the worship leader might make you feel a little bit bad, but other than that, like, it, it's, it's okay, right? Like, it's, it's not that exposing. And then, like, you can just, you just leave. Like, you just leave. And if you want to stay anonymous, you can, you can almost achieve that. You'll have to get past Chris and Diane at the door. 
Um, but they're quite friendly about it. You probably feel disarmed anyway. But, but other than that, like, it's easy. Let's just be honest about that. It's easy. And, like, you can not come for a few weeks, and some people might notice, but, but not many. Right? Like, it's easy. But the table was like, when a place is set for you, <laughs> it's, it's noticed. And, and you know if you go to someone's house for dinner or for coffee, whether it's a coffee table, a cafe table, a dinner table, it doesn't matter. You know eventually it's coming around to you. The conversation's coming to you at some point, right? And for some of us, that, that's a bit uncomfortable, let alone the fact that it gets real at the table and you realize that maybe some of the people that you looked up to and admired weren't as admirable as you thought. As you got to know them, they realized, oh, they're human too. And so that can be disarming and sort of like a bit disorientating as we just are real with each other. And then what else happens around the table is, is like you start hearing what people truly think and you realize you disagree with them. And now you've got disagreements to deal with at the table. And it gets so messy. And so I understand why we avoid the table, but in the mess of all of that true following Jesus, true community stuff is where all of the beauty is. Amongst all of that is where the healing is for you. At the table is where the joy is. At the table is where the friendships are that you're longing for. And I know it asks a lot to keep coming back to the table, but please keep coming to the table. Keep coming to the table. I know there's people here, you're weary in your faith today. Don't give up on the table. Don't give up on the table. Keep coming back to the table. Keep coming back to the table of the Lord and keep coming back to the table that is the church because that's where everything that God truly wants to do in your life, he's going to do it in such a beautiful way through the table, through the ministry of the table. And I love... I love that the table is a rich metaphor in the scriptures. It actually starts way back in the tabernacle. They build this temporary movable temple. It's a tent. And uh, they, they build it and, and the Lord's presence fills it. But one of the pieces of furniture in God's presence in the tabernacle was a table. I don't know if you realize this. The table of shewbread. Not like shoes. Like S-H-E-W. And it, and it had like, it had uh, 12 plates of manna, of bread on it. And, it, and in, that, in that place, it, um, they would go in, the, the priests would go in every uh, Sabbath, actually, and they would eat the bread in the Lord's presence, and then they would replace the bread with the new bread. And the table represented like God being present with us. It represented God providing for us, like a meal. But here's the thing, in the tabernacle and then later in the temple, this table with provision for all of God's people, with sustenance from the Lord, and it, it never had a chair. You could like come and get a little bit on Sabbath if you're a priest, but don't, don't settle down. Don't settle in. And then David would write the best psalm, Psalm 23, and he'd go, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort and protect me. And you prepare a table before me. It's prophetic, because he hadn't experienced this table yet. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David knew of the table in the presence. He'd never seen it himself, but he knew of it because only the priest could go in there. And he knew there was no chair, but he was prophetic about a time where God would reveal the true table that we could sit on. And so Jesus would come sitting at tables, eating at tables. This is so scandalous. How dare you eat with sinners? How dare you participate? You fellowship, you invite. How dare you? That's the scandal. Not that he was teaching in the temple, but that he was sitting around tables with people that didn't deserve to sit at the table of Jesus. And Jesus opened his table. And he would say, I am the good shepherd. Remember what David said? The Lord is my shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And then he would say, and my body is the bread. And my blood is the wine. Come and feast at my table. When Jesus pitches heaven and the kingdom coming in all its fullness and all things restored, you know what story he tells? He tells about a banquet table. We're just, ha, those who were invited, they don't want to turn up. Let's just invite anybody to the table. This is the kingdom. And so we shouldn't be surprised if the Lord sets a table for us. If sort of like Jesus is our permanent chair to sit at the table, that as Christians, we would live out that story by practicing the table. Practicing the table. You can practice the table on Sunday mornings. This is a powerful practice. You should practice the table in a formal, structured way. We call those groups. They get around dining tables and cafe tables and coffee tables, but I'm sure almost every group is around some table of some sort. And it's structured, it's formal, I know. They're expecting me, they want me, I matter there. And that structured, formal table, we should all be practicing that as a way of living out fellowship. But also don't forget the informal table. The informal table. The table that says, hey, you wanna come back to my place for lunch today? The table that says, what are you doing next Tuesday? Do you wanna come over for a meal? Don't forget the informal table, this rich idea of hospitality, because as we all practice the table, I believe the Lord has something for us, but He can add to the table.